expecting high performance is no longer an option. In the information age, mediocrity doesn't stand a chance and this means individuals, teams, leaders and organizations need to deliberately focus towards improving their current status quo. This would mean aligning teams to conform to their high performance standards, working together to continuously develop themselves, overcoming their dysfunctions and managing conflicts head on. This is what I discussed with Vinaya Murlidharan during this podcast. She is a coach at Pfizer in Pune and leads one of their delivery transformation teams. I have known Vinaya for a while and I have enjoyed reading about her work and listening to her talks around organization behavior, philosophy and politics. And she has helped so many teams on their path towards high performance that I couldn't have had a better guest to talk about this topic. So welcome everyone as I speak with her about the fundamentals of building high performance teams and how you the listeners can make a difference. I am your host Vishal Prasad and this is Enterprise Joy educating organizations to be awesome. Welcome everyone to one more episode of Enterprise Joy. Uh today I have Vinaya with me and we are going to speak about building high performance teams and before we go ahead for the listeners who ever celebrates Eid today is Eid so Eid Mubarak everyone. I think this has been a nice week. We had friendship day 2 2 days back and we have Raksha Bandhan 2 days later. So yeah, happy festive week weekend for everyone. but back to the show with high performance team vinaya welcome thanks vishal great to be here so uh i do understand that you have been uh, part of building loads of high performance teams and i i know that because i have uh, i have read about a lot of your work so let's dive right into it what is high performance for you all right so um one you know concepts like high performance and many such ambiguous concepts i find that it's easy for me to articulate them and think about them and have some kind of an approach uh, for those kinds of ideas if i have these sort of tethering spots or big anchors for me to build my narrative around so i would share those uh, it's not meant to be a comprehensive definition of what high performance is for me but big ideas that i have in the high performance space so one is uh, high performance to me is about creating and delivering something that is of high value um for whoever is going to you know derive the value of it and doing it at with very high quality with very high rigor and discipline and doing it at high speed uh, such that it stays relevant and it is timely but also do it in a way that is sustainable so it's not something that's a flash in the pan and it happens you know maybe once in a while it's something that is bankable that's a little consistent uh, so it has to be a sustainable way of uh, creating high value at high speed with high quality uh, but also in addition to this i would talk about uh doing it in a way that is uh giving us joy and we have fun along the way i read somewhere that discipline without fun or engagement is drudgery and i do believe that so i think doing all of this while having fun is is a pretty big uh thing for me so very briefly you know that would be what i would think of when i think of high performance okay i mean i so agree with what you say that so I read somewhere I don't remember the name of the person but we discussed it just last in the last episode that 
a team that does not have fun when they are doing things that's pretty much a sign of mediocrity so you do need to have fun i was the, so the everything that you said about speed about uh uh having this high performance definition for yourself one thing that i have found difficult for myself is even to come up with a definition i mean it keeps on changing with time uh one day it's one and the other the other problem that i have faced is to actually define it for teams so mm-hmm. although i wouldn't define it for teams but for just teams to define it for themselves it does take time and it is difficult process because you have so many people and there are so many different mindsets so how difficult has it been for you to take like, let's say your definition of high performance and then take this to your teams and then it becomes their definition and then they take it forward how have you done it in the past um i think that's a really good question uh, you know it's so difficult to define for yourself uh, taking that idea and having others buy into it is even more difficult or even for them to set it up for themselves right so mm-hmm. i would say that one um, you know my space is mostly agile so i spend a lot of time in the agile arena and the way i described high performance has a lot of overlap with the way i describe agility as well to be honest right mm-hmm. so when i think of agility i think of doing the right things of high value uh doing it the right way with high quality uh doing it fast uh, such that we can get quick feedback we can be responsive and to be able to keep doing it over and over again so that it is sustainable right so a lot of similarities between uh, the way i think of agility and the way i think of high performance mm-hmm. so i do find myself talking about that quite a bit um i also love talking about vibrant workspaces and you know that's like a keyword for me because when i think vibrant workspaces it conjures up this image which mm-hmm. that i'm able to you know share with others as well so i'm thinking of people uh, you know working with a lot of excitement with a high sense of ownership working beyond you know their defined boundaries of their roles uh doing uh, excellent creative collaborative work having points of view and defending and you know standing up for them those sorts of things so that's uh, the kind of vibrancy i enjoy at work so i would say that you know uh, while i don't think i've been very good at taking my idea of high performance to my teams if i look at a hundred little conversations i've had uh, over a course of period then and i aggregate it then my idea of high performance gets conveyed but your question does make me think whether i should be a little more explicit and deliberate about talking about high performance so this is something i'll take back from acha mm, cool Okay, so I'll tell you. So uh, the thing about, let's say, high speed for high performance or uh, sustainability, or even quality for that matter, the way it works for me is if I'm doing something by myself. Okay, let's say I'm doing a piece of work. Let's take this podcast for example, and I will have my own definitions of what high quality is and uh, what sustainability is, or what beauty beauty is when when it comes to something aesthetic, and. when i'm doing something i can evaluate myself uh, later and say okay i did something that was good that was top notch and stuff like that but that is all in my head and i wouldn't have a need to actually go and let's say write something on a wall and say hey this is exactly what's supposed to be i will have some goals but they are still slightly different uh but then if i just want to like uh, measure myself as to how i delivered something once i've completed i'll just say in my head okay yeah this was good or this could have been better that's not the same with teams however 
so when you have teams and you have so many different people uh unless you have like this common definition of for example quality or sustainability uh once a piece of work is delivered everyone will point it to in a different way this is like uh let's say people pointing to different parts of an elephant and everyone giving a different definition right. having the common definition becomes highly important have you or rather what do you usually do in your workplace to arrive at this common definition do you have some techniques that you utilize um a great question <laughs> not an easy question <laughs> so one um i i enjoy a lot of diversity of thought to be honest and i like to encourage it i quite like that everybody probably has their own definition of high performance as a starting point right Mm-hmm. uh and while i wouldn't really be looking to homogenize all of that of how people think i think an exchange of ideas is something that i do value quite a bit and uh, you know exchanging ideas the ideas can be infectious people can get you know influenced by it immediately some ideas are more you know like slow cooking so uh, they take time to take root and all that but the exchange of ideas through that i think uh, hoping for some alignment is a good uh, way to go about it for me mm-hmm. but uh, let me you know get into a bit of a metaphor and it's a really odd metaphor i think i hope it will land well so i like the idea of uh, some amount of alignment while leaving a lot of space for movement and autonomy and emergence and all of those things so how do i create that alignment is i like presenting uh some of the values some of the principles like these big rocks that are somewhere in the distance you can see them clearly they're there they're in your peripheral vision mm-hmm. uh but you're still a little away from it because it's mm-hmm. still a very ambiguous and intangible sort of concept mm-hmm. but then i like to sort of tie little threads from those rocks to the point where people are and that actually is tying it to their day to day behaviors their day to day practices and the way they interact with each other so let's say one of the values uh, we uh, really want on our teams and the team also sort of buys into that at some low sort of level is uh, let's say it's openness right yeah. so tying a little thread to say what is openness going to look like for us in our day to day when we are coding when we are having meetings when we are retrospecting when we are doing all of these things what does openness need to look like what is that manifestation i think that starts making those big rock ideas a little more real a little more tangible it is it's a thread that people can hold on to and sort of start pulling themselves towards the rocks so i found uh, that you know i love talking about values and principles and philosophies but uh the teams uh have a limited appetite for it uh on a day to day basis right on the day to day basis they want to talk about mm-hmm. things that can improve today so making that connection uh really helps and then gradually pulling them closer to the value so it becomes a little more clear they're closer to those big rocks the edges start becoming less blurry and all that so i like to present the values yes but i find that if i talk too much about it i start losing the teams so i like to quickly connect it to their day to day work and mm-hmm. then use that as a way of bringing them closer and closer to the values and the principles and the bind that they need to that so i know that was a very complicated uh metaphor possibly i hope <laughs> you visualized what i did no i 
So yeah, I can visualize because I I do quite a lot similar. So I'm I'm a values and principles uh, guy myself, and yeah, that's that's what I would do. So I think it's important for uh, for even the listeners to know we use values and principles very much interchangeably a lot of the times, but there is a difference, right? So your values are nothing but your belief systems. It's something that you believe in, whereas the principles are these rules that you note down for yourself. Yeah. So. Uh, if i'm just to uh, put it in in a very generic context uh, obeying laws or abiding laws law abiding mm-hmm. citizen that that's pretty much a value or a belief that you have that's your belief system that you have learned uh, growing up uh, but if mm-hmm. i want to uh, align that with a principle that's a rule uh, one of the rules can be since i follow laws i will let's say stop at a red light so stopping at mm-hmm. a red light is the rule or the principle and that's basically being derived from your values and yeah i agree with you it becomes extremely important so what what i have done in the past and what uh, is challenging as well is to bring all these people in a room and make mm-hmm. them brainstorm on what are your common values that you want as a team and since mm-hmm. everyone comes from this different background and different belief systems uh, they have different values a lot of the values are organization values as well uh, and pretty much uh, most of them are aligned with it uh, but then you have some personal values and what i try to do is at least come with the common set that everyone agrees with like okay this is a value that my team definitely wants for example you mentioned openness uh, uh, let's say there's one value that says focus and when i say mm-hmm. focus i'm simply saying hey i'm concentrating on something that i have to do and i don't want to be disturbed at that time so if focus is a value having these do not disturb moments uh, become like a principle and right. the implication for that would be hey this is a do not disturb time so we don't schedule any meetings at this time um, even if it's uh, the ceo of the organization i'm just going to do my work and stuff like that i know it's it sounds very ridiculous when i say that but that's that's what it what uh, what it stands for but yeah so uh, let's say that we do have the values and principles and everything how does that mm-hmm. span out for you where do you take it from there so um like i said i think i find that you know uh, the values and principles so people find it easy to uh, agree to those at conceptual level like mm-hmm. for example if we talk about openness again or focus right like you mentioned so in theory people find it very easy to uh, buy into it and say yeah we uh, we buy into that we uh, value it and all of that uh, the principles you right i think put some guardrails around it and it helps them uh, it becomes like this decoder ring that if this is the value what is the behavior i need the principles are the decoder ring right. in between i uh, that serves a big purpose uh, i do find that the principles are tougher to get uh, buy into because it starts making it its rules right they are rules yeah. you have to follow them <laughs> so uh, yeah i think that's uh, a little more difficult to establish but it is important to establish so that we can make it a little more real Mm-hmm. but after that i still find that you know going to more granular level talking about hey remember this was a, this is a value we all uh, you know said we agree to these are the rules we all agreed to come on guys you know <laughs> that sort of thing so do you think this behavior fits in with that and mm-hmm. over there i think there's there are more gray areas mm-hmm. i don't think it is as black and white uh, and i i also don't believe that's the way people operate Mm-hmm. so while traffic rules is something that we do kind of loosely follow right in india we don't even follow the traffic oh, rules oh yeah right? let's not go there that yeah, right. mm, no 
Yeah. But I think um, the values and uh, the principles and then the behaviors, that's like a wide space. Mm-hmm. There are so many manifestations uh, which can still operate within that wide, you know, uh, definition of the values and the principles that we have, uh, that we should allow for that variety. So I, I'm a big believer in, you know, allowing for a lot of diversity, variety, because I find that we cannot uh, set rules for everything, right? Everything's mm-hmm. going to emerge it's way too dynamic. It's, oh, yeah. it's a yeah. huge exercise. So I think over there, uh, that's where I think the autonomy needs to kick in, where if we do a good job in the alignment, then I think the autonomy will take care of a lot of things um, on the ground. Uh, but constant reminders and, you know, making those things visible, it should be kind of in their face, the values, mm. principles. Yeah. I think that that keeps them grounded. For the, yeah, yeah, some absolutely. I mean, so I've also seen if the values and principles are like clear and if people have buy-in, that they're not afraid of even coming and asking for certain things. Like, so if they need certain uh, certain enablers for themselves, for example, they would call it out. Um, mm-hmm. And that may be, let's say, since, since I discussed about focus, if someone says focus and do not disturb time, but then there is, let's say, uh, a senior manager who's trying to like get a town hall to be scheduled at that time People won't be scared to come up and tell you uh, if you're, let's say, their leader or their manager or uh, different definitions of managers that we have in the teams mm-hmm. nowadays to, hey, please go and tell that senior manager not to have a meeting or a town hall at this time because this is what we need during our focus time. So those things yeah. become, uh, become important. They become your enablers. And even things like, uh, for example, getting licenses sooner and all of those things mm-hmm. depends on what kind of values you have. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just trying to like relate to one value that I again respect, uh, respect and courage. Like these are, if you have the courage to call out what you want, then mm-hmm. for me, that team can do amazing work because they already know what they want. Uh, I still like to relate this uh, to ultimately outcome. So when we say that, hey, we want high performance, uh, mm-hmm. when I'm doing this values and principles, I usually pose like a question to the team and I say, uh, we as a team are a high-performing team if, and that mm-hmm. if is basically what leads to, okay, if we have these values, if we have these principles, if we have these things available to us, but that eventually leads to, okay, let's say I give you everything. Mm-hmm. Now tell me what is your results and what are your outcomes? And then the actual yeah. definition of the outcome comes out. And I would just go and like define that as my high-performance. Uh, keeping in mind that the, I still know that it is very difficult to achieve it. So for me, it is high performance is still a journey. It never ends because the moment you learn something, you will have something else to reach out to. Uh, but having this small outcomes, which I define or with, which mm-hmm. the team defines for themselves, this is something that I just take up. Okay, if you are able to do this, you are a high performing team. Mm-hmm. And there's there's no need for me to then qu- even question, is my team high performing? And right. I mean, that's something that I have found uh, like convincing for myself. Mm-hmm. But does that work for you? If I, if I don't have like a standard definition, but if the team simply says all of these things, these are our outcomes, are you happy with it? And that is their definition of high performance. Will you be okay with that? So uh, one, I think what you mentioned, uh, this is, uh, you know, a hidden sort of thing that you are taking for granted. And I think many organizations don't, 
the fact that high performance may look different for different teams Mm-hmm. so you're allowing them to define it for themselves i think that in itself is is a, it's a really good step uh, i would imagine they would be more committed to that definition because they are yeah. so i think that's that's awesome um one of the challenges i have uh, faced with teams is that many of the teams that i have started engaging with have long histories right they have mm-hmm. had certain ways of working where they used to being told how to do things Mm-hmm. they're not used to as much autonomy or you know freedom, freedom. Yeah. right exactly for define to define for themselves what the outcomes should be it's usually a driven top down right so i find that even you know taking that freedom and doing something with it is a bit of a journey it takes some time That's for true. them to know how to do that so over there i find that sometimes they aim low mm-hmm. their definition of high performance is ah, yeah. uh, are not challenging I, enough I so like yeah. it cannot be business as usual it has to be a stretch somewhere it has to exactly. be something more than what you have right now exactly yeah. and yeah. i think uh, role for uh, you know roles like coaches or if there are facilitators uh, there's a role for them to play over there to sort of push the envelope a bit for the team or encourage them you know draw them out of their comfort zone a bit mm-hmm. i think that's needed or either we do that or we mm-hmm. accept that this is something that's going to evolve soon and we remember to revisit it and keep revising of what our definition of uh, high performance is for a team so mm-hmm. either of the two but you know stretching a bit or uh, you know having very good inspect adapt sort of uh, cycles mm-hmm. uh, even for what high performance means i think both of those are needed to help the teams really aim a little high and keep yeah, yeah. moving So I think if you have something like a high performance defined for your team then you would want to revisit it at least let's say in a quarter or something and just gauge yourself are you there and if you are there or even close to what you wanted to be has that definition changed uh because yeah you rightly said it cannot be uh you have to stretch a little it has to it cannot be business as usual otherwise the growth does not come in uh that actually reminds me so for me i can actually use this definition and then carve out the team's way of working as well so the team can basically take this and say okay for us to achieve this this is going to be our way of working and then there will be people who will take certain amount of responsibilities and accountabilities and then it keeps on growing but i like the idea where you mentioned about the teams take time to grow up to that level so a few teams may be slow a few may be um, maybe fast and that does bring me a little bit closer towards uh team stages of development mm-hmm. but for now let's uh, let's focus on uh, at least two things that i'm getting out of whatever we have had a conversation so far is a high performance can be a definition that is defined by the team as long as it is not business as usual it's a little bit of stretch uh, a lot of values and principles that that play an important role so identifying and align, aligning that becomes important uh but after that we have to retrospect and we have to keep on evolving because it is more or less a journey and it's not really an end state that we want to achieve okay Absolutely. let's do one thing since we were on the topic of uh, team development mm-hmm. let's take a short break and when okay. we return let's talk about how this development of teams works and if there are any stages that we can account for all right awesome. and listeners stay tuned 
Hey, it's time to give a Patreon shout-out to the following Patreon patrons. Sebastian Holscher and David Taborek. Thank you so much for all your support in our quest to help build awesome organizations. We could not do it without you. And for those of you wondering how you might get your own Patreon shout-out, well, become our patron on patreon.com slash enterprisejoy and support us. So welcome back, everyone. I'm in conversation with Vinaya, and we have been speaking about building high-performance teams. And Vinaya, before uh, we went on break, we spoke about values and principles enablers and how we can define high-performance uh, uh, like some kind of a charter for our teams. I forgot to ask you, what is your most important value for yourself? Okay. Um, that's a good question. And of <laughs> course, it makes me think. And uh, my first response, and it's a lot more about, you know, my overall persona, not just about work. Uh, I, I thought of saying tolerance, uh, mm-hmm. you know, allowing for diversity of thoughts and behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I, as I think through that a little more, I think I do expect something that's a little more underlying and a little more fundamental than that. Um, like, you know, having respect for each other, not being a jerk Mm -hmm. and being open and all those things. But if I dig even deeper, I think for me, it is really adaptability. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not sure a lot of people think of that as a value, but I think depending on who you find yourself with or the situations that you find yourself in uh, or the person that you are at a particular point in time, I think being able to respond to that, um, I think I, I value that a lot. I believe in that a lot. I very strongly believe that there's no one size fits all, not mm-hmm. only for different people, but also for different situations. The same person in a different situation should mm-hmm. be able to have a different response. Uh, so I believe it's very important for us to have deep, strong roots that keep us you know, grounded. But it's also important to be able to, you know, oh, flexibility uh, can <laughs> sway in the wind a little yeah. bit. Uh, adaptability, you know, I started with tolerance. I ended at adaptability, but I think with adaptability, a lot of these other things sprout from there. So mm-hmm. I, I would go with adaptability. Cool. I mean, respect, and I think for me, respect and courage will be like two of my most important ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the simple thing, I, I do want to be respectful for everyone around me. I think that will be tied pretty much with tolerance. Uh, yeah. But yeah, courage important as well for me because I, I do want to call out things the way they are, be it whether you like listening to it or not. So like giving you bad news even if you don't like listening. Okay. But yeah, for me as well, respect and courage. Awesome. Okay. Uh, are, you know, timeless classics. So. Timeless classics, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Okay, but we, we did the cover a little well. We mentioned about every team can have a different stage of development. So not every team will have the same definition of uh, high performance. Uh, they mm-hmm. can derive one for themselves, but they will have some uh, some journey for themselves as well, how they develop as a team. How do mm-hmm. you see team development as such? Right. Uh, So, uh, you know, you're right. Every team has a journey of its own and it all looks different. I haven't yet, you know, in all my experience come across even just two teams Mm -hmm. with whom I've been able to try the same things and and have had the same results. 
So every team uh, looks different. So one, I think going in expecting that a team's journey is going to be unique to that team is, uh, it just frees you up a little bit to, you know, accept that. So that is one. Um, but I would say that, uh, you know, a team coming together. So I'm going to use a metaphor of marriage. And mm-hmm. uh, if it starts getting awkward, please stop me. But yeah, no, uh, no, go ahead. <laughs> something there. I, I, I like awkward conversations. <laughs> awesome. All right. So uh, think of, you know, a young couple that is uh, not yet married. They're, you know, just seeing each other, they're putting their best foot forward and, uh, you know, they can do no wrong and everything. It's it's the honeymoon period, so to speak, right? So everything's mm-hmm. hunky-dory and it's basically uh, people are being nice to each other, right? People are learning to be with each other. They're being nice to each other. So it's, uh, it's that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, as, a, as a couple gets married, the first few years... Mm-hmm. Uh, can be really rocky because now you're living with that person 24 by 7 and you know there are little irritants right there's a wet towel here and there are dirty dishes there and somebody's spending too much somebody, somebody's too thrifty so you know all sorts of things so that's a period of settling in where people are you know really seeing the real person and learning to be with each other mm-hmm. so that is the second stage and uh, after that, if you look at a you know slightly older couple, they've been married for a few years. Uh, there is a certain amount of comfort. Um, there are a lot of unspoken cues that you can pick up. Um, you have certain ways of working that are settled that you can depend on. So there's a level of comfort, companionship, and all that, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to just. Take it back to uh, a more popular model, which is which is Tuckman's model, and it's not the marriage metaphor, <laughs> but Tuckman does talk about, and it's extremely popular. So I'm sure a lot of people mm. have heard. So there is the forming stage of a team when a new team is coming together, uh, and everybody's nice and professional, and you know, uh, staying in the polite sort of conversations and that sort of thing. So they're just learning to come together. Then you have the storming phase, like the young couple, where, you know, the wet towels and, you know, the money and everything starts uh, becoming a point, uh, potentially, of conflict. Mm -hmm. But the storming phase is extremely important for the team uh, to be real with each other, to find their strengths, to close their gaps and, you know, really uh, forge themselves into a strong team. Mm -hmm. And then you have this nice period of, you know, comfort and companionship, like I said. So that is the norming phase. So things have settled down over there. There is a way of working for the team. Mm -hmm. But going back to the marriage metaphor, you know, maybe it's not enough, right? Maybe you need a little bit of magic. And that takes work. And that is where, you know, you have these great marriages. Uh, I think it takes work. It takes uh, a desire from all parties to do better than just BAU. Uh, so, you know, uh, doing things that push you out of your comfort zone a bit or challenge you to get better. Or maybe you, you know, go on a great trip together. Or maybe you do date nights, whatever, right? So mm-hmm. adding some pizzazz into your marriage. And that's where I would go back to Tuckman's model of uh, the fourth stage, which is performing. So you have forming, storming, norming, and performing. And performing is where now we are talking about high performance, right? 
they were mm-hmm. talking about a team that is not just doing BAU well, they're excelling, they're flourishing, and they're doing new things. They're continuously improving, you know. That's the kind of uh, uh, thing that I would uh, look for in a great team. A lot of te- teams get to be decent teams, but the great team uh, do things differently to get there, right? So I would just say that, you know, that's that's a way to look at the team development for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I think thanks for uh, defining 15 years of my relationship. That was not awkward at all. Uh, but but yeah, I, I do admire Tuckman's model. Uh, I do find it a little tricky because uh, the way I see it in my head with Tuckman, every time, uh, let's say a team member goes in or out of the team, mm-hmm. you actually go through this entire thing. So it is not very linear as we see in the diagram, right? It's not very mm-hmm. linear. It goes back and forth between different stages. And it's very important or sometimes one does not even identify in which stage we are. So even when the performing part comes in, teams really, they might not even identify that, hey, we are now a performing team. It, it's just very natural and it's gone back and forth so many times that it's just evolved over time. Adaptability, I think yeah, that, that, that fits in well over there. Mm-hmm. So I, I do like the, uh, the Shuhari thing. Uh, mm-hmm. For listeners, Shuhari is this uh, martial arts concept, which Alistair Coburn, I really like his work, and uh, he took it as a learning model. So Shuhari would simply mean at the shoe stage, you're at a beginner level, so something similar in Tuckman, let's say you're very uh, new. <clears throat> but in the beginner stage, you would just follow the rules. So you have certain rules defined for yourself, and you just keep on following those rules. Then you have the ha, which is okay, now I have understood the rules. Uh, let me try and bend the rules so that it, they fit my context a bit better. Uh, and then finally, you have the re, which is like the master of your craft. And you start creating your own rules for yourself. And uh, what I have done in the past is even with teams. So if I have a team of, let's say, eight to nine people, I would create like this big chart for them and put it somewhere on, on the wall. It sounds very awkward now that I say I put it somewhere on the wall because you're working from home. But yeah, if you're in an office somewhere where they're working their space, I'd put this chart on the wall and the team would just uh, spell out the skills that they have or they need in order to do their, their work or do their job. And they would just mark like shoe how re in front of it. Uh-huh. And that becomes uh, like this uh, like this place where people can see what others are good at or what they need help with and they can either reach out or ask for help for whatever things that they want to grow and that's how the team grows together so the entire Tuckman's model of okay here we are if you want to work together and be a norming team or a performing team this is where we need adjustments and you can just see that happening very uh, visually Mm -hmm. Uh, however for this to happen you need a very trusting team. That's like the caveat. Because you don't want to be in a position, let's say, where a person has been reaching out to someone for help, let's say, with some concepts of, uh, of Java. And yeah. suddenly when I put up this, uh, this Shuhari sheet on the wall, and this person who was reaching out to someone puts themselves as a beginner, whereas this other person says, I'm an intermediate. And uh-huh. that shouldn't be like, oh, shit, I was going to some person who is not even there yet. Uh, So it it becomes important to create that kind of an environment where people feel safe to be open. So if this exercise does happen, I would expect the other person to go and say, 
are you crazy you can't even be a beginner i'm the one who's coming up to you and they can actually help them switch their levels but yeah. trust becomes like this extremely important thing before we get into all of this let's talk a little bit about trust have you found it difficult with your teams because i think that we can go somewhere with this mm-hmm. how do you see trust um so trust is a tough one um while you know uh, it it does seem very foundational to a lot of things that we want to see in a team it is a really tough one you can have all the right intentions you can do all the right things that you think are right and yet you know trust can be a very slippery thing to catch hold of um and uh, you know uh, some of the things that i try uh, which you know start moving the needle a little bit on the trust meter so to speak is trying a lot of transparency i think that's pretty uh, fundamental to uh, building trust mm-hmm. so transparency in terms of access to information having candid uh, conversations uh, you know all of that uh, that sort of things so transparency a lot of frequent communication i think a lot of mistrust also stems from people speculating and guessing what is really going on and communication can be a good counterweight for that mm-hmm. um and you know uh, something that you uh, touched upon respect right i think showing and displaying respect for everybody right it doesn't have to be you know you don't have to have a certain title or a position to have respect you don't have to be a certain age to have respect right so i think uh, having respect for everybody and making sure that you display it uniformly i think that is uh, that can really help and openness again uh, as people start seeing a lot of acts of openness where uh, they feel comfortable sharing ideas uh, people can you know share failures successes all sorts of things i think that kind of openness so trying some of these things could help in building trust um but still and i would think it's a very long term proposition to build trust right mm-hmm. you cannot have people put together in a room and say hey now from today we all trust each other <laughs> doesn't really work unfortunately uh if i could just wave a wand and make that happen i would uh but it is it is it does take time and uh personally i think as individuals some something that we could think of and try uh to help move it along is that one trust is a two way street right mm-hmm. so unless i'm ready to trust the other person it's uh, it's not going to be reciprocated so i could potentially take the first step and right. uh you know make it easier to start building that mm-hmm. uh but i have found that i do have limitations on that uh you know uh unless some reciprocation starts happening mm-hmm. there is a point of no return where i do personally do reach and beyond that i'm not investing any more in a relationship so um maybe making that uh, period of you know tolerance a little longer mm-hmm. uh, makes your chances of gaining trust better but again as individuals we could take the first step and remember that it's a two way street and we have to trust to be trusted as well yeah absolutely i mean yeah if if i want to relate that to uh, let's say patrick lencioni is the thing where about the five dysfunctions of a team for him as well he mentions uh, absence of trust like the first level dysfunction that is the basis of every other dysfunction that you may have and mm-hmm. he says the same thing that for trust to build in you need to be vulnerable to each other so it's it, it is a two way street uh, it it cannot be one uh, one directional and for that to happen you 
you have to be open. Uh, you have to accept your limitations. You have to reach out for help or you have to uh, ask for help. And all of these things, they ultimately boil down to what he calls his vulnerability. So if there's vulnerability, then there will be trust. And the way I see it is for people to be vulnerable, you need to give them a safe environment. Because unless they have a safe environment, that openness does not come in. And we have heard a lot about creating these safe environments, and there are so many different ways of doing it. Uh, how, how would you do it? If I have to ask you, let's say, if you have to create a safe environment for a team, what will be your strategy or tactic to do it? Okay, so one, you know, vulnerability is, um, it's tough, especially when you're saying that you're starting with a place where trust is yet to get established. And mm -hmm. that's where we use vulnerability as a way to overcome uh, this lack of trust. It's, it's a pretty difficult uh, uh, thing to do. Uh, but like you said, you know, uh, by creating a little more safety, you can make being vulnerable a little more palatable. Now, uh, I think leaders uh, do shoulder a lot of uh, responsibility. The onus is on the leaders to get this started, get this whole process of showing vulnerability, gaining trust. I think uh, the leaders do play a big role in that. Uh, for example, imagine a leader stepping up uh, and saying you know, to their teams that, hey, this is something I don't know how to do. Uh, that's, that's being vulnerable or saying, hey, I, I messed up, you know, I made a mistake here uh, or saying, hey, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? Would you do it differently? So really opening themselves up for that kind of, uh, you know, commentary. Um, I think it's big, uh, mm -hmm. but leaders uh, do, you know, have the onus of taking the first steps on that, I would think. And as they do it, as they do it often, and they do it enough, uh, and they do it in a very visible way, I think uh, they start becoming role models potentially for their teams, uh, and they give some others something to emulate, right? Right. The other thing could be, you know, trying workshops. There are these safety workshops or trust exercises that you could potentially do to bolster, you know, the effort of the leader on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we could try that. Uh, one of the things that we have tried in one of the organizations is, uh, I think people themselves uh, influence their feeling of safety the most, right? Even more than their leaders, more than their peers, more than the organization, they themselves, right? Mm -hmm. I can choose sometimes to feel safe or to feel less safe. So I have a lot of influence over it, um, generally more than what most people believe. So one of the workshops we do is help people identify what are their sources of not feeling safe? Mm -hmm. uh, they could be different, uh, different people in their um, you know, uh, sphere of operations. It could be the nature of the organization. It could be their lack of skills. So what contributes to them feeling less safe? So we help mm -hmm. them identify that first. And then think about what they can do to make each of those areas a little better, right? Just right. start chipping away at it a little bit, but also, you know, take control of their destiny a little more than they are uh, taking right now. So some of those uh, things help. Mm -hmm. The other thing I think uh, in a team setup is at least for the initial few uh, days, you know, when the team is still not well formed, 
is making sure that discussions are about topics, they're objective, and they're mm-hmm. not about people and personalities, you know. So when there's no trust, mm-hmm. if we go there too fast, then I think the safety just crumbles away before it's even formed. So right. I think some of in the beginning really helps. Yeah. I mean, so I do remember, so I had Priya for the second episode, uh, we, we spoke about motivation. Uh, but if, uh, when Priya does workshops, I've been to a few workshops that she has conducted. She does this thumb ball exercise in the beginning where she would have, mm-hmm. she has this ball, which has a number of questions and you just have to throw it to one another. And when whichever is, whichever question is under your right thumb, you have to answer uh-huh. that. Uh, okay. I think that that's the, the questions are something like, what's your favorite color and uh, okay. things which are more personal to you. And I, you can just share that with, with the rest of the audience. I think that that connect about knowing another person a bit more also also helps because the thing that you said uh asking people what's their fear one of the common things that I have got in the past is the fear of failure like if yeah. I fail I'll be blamed right and uh, it yeah it takes time before uh, before people can accept okay failure is acceptable and that's so for me a safe environment is a place where you're allowed to do unsafe work as long as that is true, uh, people feel safe. But then the place where you said that uh, it has, it still has to be objective and not personal. Uh, if we want to continue on on the dysfunctions path, you have the second level which talks about fear of conflict. And the moment I say conflict, uh, there are people who don't like it because conflict is not something that we like. We we like everything that is nice and and cozy. But if I actually see for us to solve problems and to grow, conflicts are essential. And I totally agree with you that it is important for leaders to address that. Leaders have to be in a position where they can bring up those difficult conversations. They can address the elephant in the room and they have to allow these conflicting conversations to happen because that's where problems Mm -hmm. get solved. And that's where I think these conversations, as long as they're not personal, as you said, it has to be objective. And I think the leaders can ensure that these conversations are objective. Mm-hmm. If you have that, that actually strengthens your relationship a lot more than what it will just be like, hey, we have to be trusting for each other. This exchange of ideas is just knowing people more and at the same mm-hmm. time solving a problem at hand. That brings in a lot more trust. So for me, conflicts as well, the second level, if I have to say, is, is if not the same, but equally important for anything that you have to do when it comes to building relationships. And yeah, I'm. For sure, leaders, yeah, you have to step in. Absolutely. And um, I think, like you said, you know, conflicts are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I would just touch upon the Thomas uh, Kilman model over here briefly. You know, it's a good lens for us through which we can look at uh, what kind of responses we can have to conflict, right? So very, very mm-hmm. briefly. Uh, so it talks about, you know, avoidance could be a response. So you avoid conflicts where the conflict stays and doesn't get resolved, but you just, you know, steer clear of it. The other one could be, you know, contending where there is, you want to win, right? There's a conflict, mm-hmm. you're a party to it, but you want to win. That's what your stance is going in. On the other hand, it could be that you are accommodating. You're saying, I'm going to let the other person win. I'm going to, you know, just give up my point of view. So mm-hmm. that's accommodating where, again, there's a winner and a loser, but you are the loser. <laughs> um, 
Uh, one that, you know, is it sounds the best is, of course, you know, using collaboration as a way to respond to conflict. That's where you're aiming for consensus to some extent. You're looking for a win-win, uh, you know, in very simple terms. Uh, so if, as a leader, most of the time, uh, my overwhelming response in most cases to conflict is to drive for collaboration, that mm-hmm. I think that's great. Uh, occasionally a leader must um, and will choose other ways. Uh, There are times when you'll avoid conflicts uh, and you'll do other things. Um, But I think there can be so many responses to conflict. And um, sometimes the nature of the organization or the culture of the organization contributes to this. So just Mm -hmm. a quick example, uh, one of the organizations I was with earlier, uh, you know, having uh, heated discussions and passionate debates (laughs) Well, it's just a way we worked, right? So we'd be in a meeting and we are having these heated conversations. And the minute we wrap it up, we're all going out together for tea and we're joking. And, you know, it's just, it's very contained to the topic. And uh, it was just so fun <laughs> to be able to have those kinds of conversations. But I have been in other organizations where the culture of the organization is, it's very formal, it's very polite. Uh, so over there, if I suddenly I'm the only one having a very, you know, passionate discussion, then it could also be offensive, uh, seen as offensive for some of the others. Mm. So I think uh, the culture of the organization, but each of us impacts the culture of the organization. So we can shape it, but that's yeah. that's gradual time. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've worked in all kinds uh, of places. Man. and uh, So you, you talk yeah. about meetings, like my biggest pet peeve is to have boring meetings, right? Like kill yeah. me now kind of feelings. <laughs> I, I really don't don't want that. Like having meetings which are engaging is something that I really want. But yeah, if, yeah. if you fear conflict and have this artificial harmony, as you say, then yeah, that's that's never going to happen. So true. But the worst is the passive aggressive, right? Where nobody's uh, opposing ah. <laughs> having a different point of view, but you have this wall of silence and you're like, am I on mute? And you're just checking those things. <laughs> yeah. But I think uh, it also um, leads very well into the next item that, you know, it's in the five dysfunctions of a team, which is lack of commitment. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like you, you mentioned artificial harmony, I think just now, right? Yeah. And it gives the sense that everybody's agreed and bought into what was discussed because everybody's quiet. And sometimes I hear uh, even myself saying, hey, I'm going to take silence as acceptance. Oh. And that just doesn't fly ever, right? Because <laughs> it's not. So um, I think it leads uh, a lack of conflict, uh, you know, directly feeds into a lack of commitment mm-hmm. where, um, you know, you you think people have bought into a decision, they've bought into an idea. You think everybody's going to go back and you know just make that magic happen, but uh, they never really had the safety or you know the confidence to bring up their own ideas and disagree and have place for dissent. So mm-hmm. the buy-in uh, is also low and the commitment is also low. And right. uh, something that leaders can of course do there is to, you know, force a little bit of clarity and force a little bit of closure. Um, I do feel sorry for leaders, to be honest. I think they suffer through all of these things as much as team members, yeah, but, but uh, they do. I mean, here's the thing. I don't see leaders as like one figure in, in a team anyway. I mean, leadership is very situational. 
so depending Absolutely. on what you're doing and where you are every individual can become a leader and rather they will become leaders especially if you're talking about this autonomy autonomous yes. teams uh, yes. so it, it's not to say that hey there's only one leader in the team and this person is pushing everyone to do things no you have leaders who are very much uh, situational and occasional so Absolutely. i think yeah, i'm i'm so when you when you said about the uh, this like silence is acceptance there are so many workshops that i have i remember from my past which have had this small uh like posted somewhere that says silence means acceptance so speak up and i so okay. hate that posted i mean i understand the reasoning behind it that we are pushing people to speak up but i think right. the facilitator of that workshop has a much bigger role to play because you have to be skilled enough to bring in that uh, that person in the in the discussion or in the workshop you can't just expect one poster to be put up on the wall and people just open up because oh i see a poster i should talk that never happens so like the facilitator Absolutely. being the leader at that time yeah that that becomes an important job for them i totally agree with that but then i i do agree so since we are going like the level of dysfunctions the next one is avoidance of accountability so if you are not committed ah then you're you won't even hold yourself accountable so there will be lack of ownership you wouldn't even uh take up things to be like your own baby and mm-hmm. that for me itself brings in uh, this feeling of if you're not bought in completely like if you're not committed then whatever you create later and if let's say you are the one who everyone is looking up to and you are for some reason not able to do your job and if i call out uh, in in a meeting that hey this was supposed to be done by you or your group and blah 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 whatever and if you don't even own up to it well then then there's something totally wrong over there and i think just for this one dysfunction uh, there's so much that we can do right so we have reviews in place we have feedbacks in place we have retrospectives in place and there are so many different practices that lay this foundation and these practices are basically there so that you own up to what you have and accountability becomes very very important so yeah mm-hmm. if if you don't even have that commitment then accountability becomes a big question right. and i i want to be in a meeting where i can call out people uh, let's say if i have a so i work with software development teams right and when we call talk about quality quality is the accountability of the development team and mm-hmm. if our definition of quality is not met i i will call it out okay and i'm lucky to have team members like development team members who will say yes we slipped or yes we are supposed to do it and that is the mm-hmm. level of ownership that i'm looking for yeah that that mm-hmm. for me is extremely extremely important and do you also find uh, so i find that creating an environment where peers hold each other accountable uh, again right. takes a lot of time where uh, you know if you have somebody with a title right you have um, i don't know a facilitator a scrum master a manager in the room then they expect that person to you know hold people accountable but uh, having okay. peers you are accountable you know i think that's where it starts becoming yes. more sustainable and repeatable exactly. and i think that's something to yeah. work towards i mean you spoke about high performance has to be sustainable right so that's 
I mean, it shouldn't happen that if a manager is on leave, then the team does not perform. That's not what we are targeting for. If it's a high performance team, it's a high performance team, irrespective who is in the room and who's not. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think uh, this also, uh, you know, if we uh, finish off the five dysfunctions, um, so the last one that Patrick Lencioni does talk about is uh, inattention to results. And I do see this uh, quite a bit because many of our teams are still in flight and, you know, it's, uh, it's a very long sort of uh, journey. Um, so we find that when there's no commitment and uh, there is no accountability, um, at some level, um, there is no alignment to what they're trying to achieve. So there is no attention on the collective results of the group, right? This right. Is, we're talking about the functions of a team. So it is about team goals and the team operating together as a very tightly knit unit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do see some inattention to collective results. Um, yeah. And it also manifests itself in people having their individual goals that they are going after, which may sometimes yeah. be in direct conflict with the team goals. <laughs> Uh, and that becomes really odd because then there's this tension, right? People are pulling in very different directions. Right. And it can be a very purposeless group. As a team, they can be very uh, purposeless. Uh, they do work every day. They're doing tasks. They're doing stuff. But they don't really yeah. achieve much. I mean, the output will be just mediocre. You don't want that. <laughs> exactly. I think uh, to some extent, it can be combated by having more uh, communication about the goals by again making the goals a little more visual and uh, visible and in your face uh, maybe celebrating small wins right that's a way of positive reinforcement letting people know we are headed in the right direction mm-hmm. uh, appreciating you know contributions uh, from various team members towards the goal so you know keep reiterating in various ways the fact that we are all tied into one uh, you know direction and one goal Mm-hmm. And making sure we all headed in that direction. Yeah. So, so I think this? even when you say like this, uh, my goal versus the team goals, I think that that will be the reason why a lot of the organizations now we understand that team rewards are like much more fruitful than individual uh, incentives or stuff like that. And there are different ways of achieving it, obviously. Okay, but uh, okay. Uh, for now, let's say that if I do want high performance team. Mm-hmm. then addressing these dysfunctions also become very, very important. And whether be it a leader or the team members, it's important that everyone understands how these dysfunctions have to be tackled. And that is a step towards being high performing. Uh, I do still want to address a little bit about conflict since we spoke a little bit about, about that and you spoke about TKI also. Uh, Mm -hmm. let's discuss that in a bit more detail because I think that will be interesting for listeners, just how conflicts are really important in our lives. But let's do that after a short break because we have been speaking for some time, right? So we'll be back in uh, a short while and then we speak about conflicts and their importance. If you like what you're hearing, then do subscribe to this podcast for more of Enterprise Joy. You can get a complete list of platforms where this podcast is available on anchor.fm slash enterprisejoy or on our website enterprisejoy.com. Folks who prefer more visual experience can save the Enterprise Joy podcast playlist on YouTube. And you can also support this podcast by becoming a patron on patreon.com slash enterprisejoy. 
We are happy to bring great content for you that can help you and your organization be more awesome. Welcome back, everyone. And I'm in conversation with Vinaya. We have been speaking about building high-performing teams, and we have discussed so far about how do we define high performance and about uh, team dysfunctions. We are going to deep dive into one of the dysfunctions uh, in this segment. It's fear of conflict, because I believe that's something that we should address, and it is interesting. My question to you, Vinaya, are you scared of conflicts? Um. Well, I, I wouldn't say I'm scared or afraid of conflicts, but some conflicts are uncomfortable for sure, right? So um, they do, you know, shake you up a little bit. Uh, but they serve a purpose in um, helping the teams form and getting better and get to high performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so while I'm, I wouldn't say I'm afraid of conflicts, I do have different responses to conflicts. And I think we briefly spoke about the Thomas uh, Kilman model, mm-hmm. and they do talk about the different responses you could have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe I said it before, but I would reiterate that I think uh, you can and must do things differently at different times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think collaboration as a way of dealing with conflict is wonderful, but mm-hmm. sometimes avoidance is not a bad uh, thing to do as the conflict situation. So why don't you do is why don't you explain the TKI in uh, in detail, and then what I would like to know from you is how have you utilized TKI for your own uh, for your own work? All right, all right. So a little bit about the model before I start, you know, pulling out examples from my experience. Uh, so one on the TKI model, uh, you know, the, a simple version of it uh, to think of is think of two axes. Your x-axis is how much cooperation uh, you plan to bring into your conflict management. And think of your y-axis as how much assertiveness you want to bring into your conflict management. So now you have Mm -hmm. this uh, sort of a grid where it's on cooperation and it's on assertiveness. So let's start with uh, the first one where there is low cooperation and there is low assertiveness. Mm-hmm. And that is what avoidance is, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm avoiding conflict. I'm not really looking to solve it. So I'm not going out of my, my way to cooperate and, you know, resolve the conflict. Yeah. I'm also not asserting my position and saying, hey, let's resolve it, you know, my, my way or anything. So I'm just avoiding the conflict altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say, uh, let me also, you know, maybe talk about the examples as I go along with the model. So avoidance, one of the examples that I can draw upon is there were a couple of team members who were, we had this big event going on and there was some miscommunication about some decision and they ended up, you know, doing very contrary things. Mm. And I think actually headed physically for a conflict, they like hurtling <laughs> towards each other. And at that point of time, the decision was so contained in time, it was just relevant for that one event. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it didn't really, you know, need to be resolved. It didn't have long-term repercussions, etc. It was just an outlet of emotions that was happening over there. Uh, over there, you know, somebody just stepped in and they actually physically steered one of the people away from the other. Uh, and 
it just diffused the situation to be honest right it, it was not a big conflict that needed to be resolved etc so avoidance at that point of time was probably a, a wise choice it mm. didn't have long term impacts that we had to live with later etc but then it was just emotional it was in that moment and just steering a person away from it uh, as a way of avoiding conflict worked right so uh, a lot of people think of avoidance of conflict as this bad thing because you know it's the lowest <laughs> point on the on the model i would say that you know as uh, as leaders and you mentioned situational leaders so i think we should have all the tools in our toolkit and uh, use the one that fits the best right yeah. so yeah i mean yeah. I, i can't imagine someone writing a bad variable name and someone coming to hit some other person i i will definitely pull them back <laughs> absolutely right so so that's one uh, now let's keep going along uh, the other quadrants that we have uh, so to speak it's not really quadrants but just uh, easy for us to think of it that yeah. way uh let's think of a way of engaging in a conflict where your assertiveness is very high but you're not so high on the cooperativeness right mm. so that's basically when you're in it to win it so you have a contending stand a uh, stance so you're saying that hey this conflict we're going to resolve it and i'm going to you know win this so that's how i enter it so there's a winner there's a loser i want to be the winner that's how i approach the conflict if i'm one of the parties um now this we see from time to time especially i would say in the case of a uh, places where there is expertise is valued a lot in situations where expertise is valued a lot then it becomes uh, you know a lot of things are on the line then you have your professional pride you have your ego you want to win it uh, you know so all of those things so i think that um can also devolve into something like you you call upon your years of experience you start name dropping uh i think while you're going into trying to win i've rarely seen that as very constructive and no one really really wins at the end because it festers mm-hmm. um you know at the at the back of it but that is a stance that you can take going into a conflict mm-hmm. uh i mean and on the I, other I'll That's actually right. be I'll actually be happy with so uh, when it comes to so the competing aspect that you're saying right the competition right if if you are actually fighting for your rights I think that'll that'll still be a good stance to have so let's say in India like three seven seven just went away a few years back when you mm-hmm. were fighting for the gay right movement or the LGBT community I think that that was the right stance to have in that case and right. it's not to say that it is. Uh, it this should be your stance in all the cases but then in cases like this where you're fighting for your rights or something where you know that you you are uh, doing the right thing or standing up for something that is principally correct let's put it that way and yeah i i still be happy if that happens absolutely i think you make a very very fair point and uh, i i'm completely on board with what you're saying um uh, what i do find and i'm thinking more of you know work setups is yeah. uh, it it tends to fester a bit uh, and it takes multiple attempts to really resolve the conflict it keeps uh, coming up from time to time it doesn't it's not laid to rest very easily so maybe from that perspective uh, it can be a very challenging stance to take at work but i yeah. completely agree you know having a few beliefs we right uh, there are places where some things are right and some things are not uh, so oh, yeah. I'm, i'm totally with you um 
on the other end of the spectrum i would say is accommodating where you're approaching conflict with the intention to uh you know let the other person win uh, right it's it's a form of avoidance i would say you are resolving it in some way but you're completely giving up your stance right mm. um you're not really sticking to your guns you're not fighting for your beliefs your cause your uh, principles so that also i feel is not something that um resolves the conflict really i think mm. it tends to rare uh, from time to time but i would say that you know i have examples of uh, where i have used it and it is when i'm sometimes trying to pick my battles right i'm yeah. making big changes uh, let's say we're doing a transformation and there are 100 things where we're trying to uh, you know challenge status quo and do certain things mm-hmm. uh, i cannot really eat the entire pie in one bite so sometimes certain conflicts i may accommodate um the other person's view even if i'm not in full agreement with the intention of circling back to it at a more opportune opportune time or you know when the conditions are better or give that person some time to digest the variety of opinions so mm-hmm. it is something that i would use as an intermediate sort of stage yeah uh, what do you think do you have any examples you want to share so i do so when for me accommodating the best place i i can think of is uh, when we are talking processes right so let's say if you are establishing processes and uh, i have a slightly different idea or my team has a slightly different idea of a process versus let's say someone else a client or someone as long as the outcome is the same at least in both of our heads i can give up my process i mean i'm not that attached to a process as long as the outcome that we're expecting is the same so yeah, even though there will be like conflicting ideas of how the process has to be established i'm happy to give up my uh, my space uh, as long as we know that okay we'll achieve the same thing right uh, i think that's a great example and i think uh, that kind of rigidity at, in the weeds is anyway mm. uh, very questionable because uh, we're never going to get it right right so some sort of flexibility yeah. over there makes a lot of sense yeah plus uh, i think it, then, it, it's like a step towards building relationship it, every time you accommodate because uh, uh yeah you do build a certain kind of relationship obviously does this not mean that you accommodate with everything but spaces like this where it does not affect your outcome sure if you just give up something the other person actually feels a little bit closer to you so yeah absolutely i completely i completely agree with you and that's where you know i would think of you know choosing my battles is everything worth uh you know um winning right uh, it's yeah. it's not so and then we have the gold standard collaborating uh so that's where you know we are trying to blend ideas um mm. have space to uh you know uh, collectively forge something something together and that's wonderful it's a little bit of consensus building a little bit of uh, synthesization of ideas and all of those things mm-hmm. um i think um on paper i would say that uh, that sounds like the best response we could have to conflict and also on the ground so i don't mean to say that it's uh, only in theory but i think uh, we should remember that it can be time consuming right mm-hmm. uh, consensus building can take time it also yeah. depends on how many people are involved and all of those things Mm-hmm. uh over here what can help us get to a more collaborative style of managing conflict 
could be an excellent facilitation, somebody who's seen as neutral, somebody who knows how to draw out ideas, how to find the synergies, how to synthesize different thoughts. Mm -hmm. uh, so facilitation can play a big role over here. Uh, I think, again, staying objective and talking about a topic uh, instead of, again, putting your pride on the line or your ego on the line, I think can really help move forward. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of openness, focusing, I think, uh, I've also found that focusing on defining the problem well and not rushing into the solution space mm -hmm. allows more room for collaboration. So um, maybe an example over here uh, could be that, you know, uh, we were talking with a certain team about how we pick the next priority for, you know, the next uh, quarter for us or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So we we started with a place where everybody was already coming in with solutions. Some people had a tool-based solution. Some people right. were questioning why prioritization <laughs> is such a big deal and all of those things. So getting that group together, keeping the solutions aside, defining the problem, helped everybody come to a common starting point and then gradually build solutions from there. So that was very collaborative, but we had a lot of openness from the group, uh, yeah. which allowed us to do it. So that's, that's an example that I would uh, cite. Maybe. Right. And then uh, somewhere in the middle, we have compromising. And sometimes... Uh, it can look like collaboration when you're compromising. So if you don't look too closely, no, no. you'll... I, it, it's you know? not, no. It, it's more like a terrorist negotiation. It's, it's, it's not collaboration, no. But, uh, you know, it, it can uh, masquerade as collaboration yeah. where you think, okay, hey, we built consensus, <laughs> but it's actually a compromise and, again, very likely to resurface sometimes sooner in the future. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so if I differentiate like the thing I spoke about accommodating, a compromise for me would be that I agree on, on someone else's process, but that means that the outcome will be mediocre. And that for me will be a compromise. And I wouldn't want to do that because I don't want the results to uh, get hampered in any which way. Uh, process, yeah, I'm fine with. Uh, I still understand compromise is a time when there are times when you will have to compromise, obviously. It's, it's a fair mode of conflict. Absolutely. What I do like is, especially with the collaboration aspect, I, I like the uh, I like to capture expressions of people when I tell this to them the first time. You want to collaborate, yeah. you know that's a conflict. And then I explain the TKI and they are, they are like amazed to know that, okay, what we actually want to achieve is conflict. So we can't move away from conflicts. It is a part of what we want. Right. But then conflicts also have levels, right? So we have modes and then we have levels. Mm -hmm. So when we say collaboration and the levels, I, I think, uh, Speed Reese, the person who defined uh, the level of conflicts, the first two levels, which is the problem to solve and the disagreement. Mm -hmm. uh, I think this will more or less sum up how the collaboration aspect of, uh, of conflict works. Maybe not even that much with disagreement, but with problem to solve. But if I'm looking at a high performing team, they will most likely fluctuate between these two levels. So they will fluctuate between a problem to solve. They're very objective with the problem in hand. And there are disagreements and there is a little bit of sarcasm at times, uh, but they are still working towards solving like, a, uh, like they're moving towards a purpose, as you said, like a common goal. And that's mm -hmm. the level where I would want to see a, a high performing team when it comes to the mode of conflict with, uh, with collaboration.
right? So um, I I agree with you. You know the level of conflict uh, when we are still talking about problem to solve. Mm-hmm. Uh, the team is still focused on wanting to fix things. Um, it, it's still collaborative. It's still objective. So that's a very healthy uh, space to be in. And I would say it's a pretty uh, uh, dominant tra- uh, trait that we would see on high performing teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also agree with the fluctuation with disagreement, but uh, the point I would watch out for in the disagreement level of conflict, so to speak, is that people tend to start becoming very careful, and there's a little yeah. bit of weariness about how much they say in a public place. Uh, there's a lot of self-protection that kicks in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be a lot of offline conversations and offline modes of trying to you know approach the conflict so this would be something to watch out for and uh, it would be a team could relook at the level of safety that they have in the team um, and you know try and work on that a little bit but yes these two levels of conflict are still uh, fairly healthy the team you know can handle it by themselves uh, to a large extent um, and uh, it gets them to high performance, absolutely. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. So, so the two levels, uh, as you rightly said, the teams can most likely do everything by themselves. I wouldn't even want a leader to step in. But this wouldn't mm-hmm. be the truth the moment we start going like levels up, right? So, let's say if we are on level three, uh, which is more of a contest for me, like winning is absolutely essential. As as the example where you stated. I don't care what's going on, but my status is more important and I have these many years of experience and competition uh, Mm -hmm. overtakes everything else. Right. So the moment we are at level three, I think this is where it it becomes important for the navigator of the conflict. I wouldn't call leader, but whoever is responsible for navigating through this conflict to understand, uh, let's say, uh, how much of energy are, are, are the parties bringing into the conflict or what's the language that they are using or what mm-hmm. kind of complaints they are gathering. And all of this okay. direct towards what kind of a conflict is it and how I want to address it or how I should address it. Right. Um, and you're right, right? Uh, and not only, uh, it's not about that specific conflict alone. Sometimes it builds up over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, there could be multiple issues over time that are compounding to become larger and larger. Yep. Um, yeah. It could be characterized by a lot of blaming and finger pointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may also start to see some factions getting formed or starting to get formed at the stage mm-hmm. uh, where people are starting to choose sides and things like that. And uh, you're right. I think a navigator, uh, the role becomes a little more important where leaving it to the teams may not be too uh, deeply entrenched and all of that. Um, Over here, maybe as a beginning, some form of negotiation or some form of compromise may help starting to break uh, the ice a little bit. What do you think about that? Like the idea of negotiating with terrorists too. Oh yeah, negotiating with terrorists. That's my favorite part. No, uh, I mean, until level three, I think maybe you don't need anyone to navigate, right? I know level three is still a little bit of personal attacks and uh, uh, people may start taking sides. 
I wouldn't mm-hmm. say this is like still the still the level of the people like take sides, but they you might start seeing certain inclination. Uh, I'm still happy if the leaders don't do anything until this point of time. Uh, but if they do, then they have to be uh, a little careful. Just uh, ensure that they have observed enough. They have heard every party who's involved because it's not necessarily a conflict. It's just two people, right? It can be uh, it can be multiple people. and every person you speak with is one story that you hear right so it's important that you get like an overall picture of uh, everyone who's involved in the conflict and then possibly you you take certain actions but the first action as you said is still correct uh, some mm-hmm. kind of a compromise maybe or something a step towards first of all deescalate your current level and yes. move more towards objectiveness more towards the problem to solve kind of a kind of a level and then see how things work out right but all that changes the moment you go on level 4 right so level 4 they call crusade and i have this amazing example that, that happened to me so actually it happened with me multiple times mm-hmm. uh we have this era of agile software development right and agile mm-hmm. for uh, is something that i'm a big fan of mm-hmm. uh but the moment this movement so called uh, that i that i address not very happy about it but let's call it a movement yeah we now started uh, getting into a phase where we want everyone in the organization to be agile which isn't a bad thing agility is a good thing but now we suddenly want everyone to change and now we are passionate about everyone to change but maybe someone sitting in the finance department is not and if i have to go and convince someone in the finance department usually one thing i would hear is yeah it works for software it wouldn't work for finance that yeah. for me is like the starting point of level 4 which is like you're trying to uh, safeguard your entire group it's not just you uh-huh. now it's it's like the entire group who's at, right. who's on one side and you're like this outsider and you're trying uh-huh. to like now create like proper groupings and people taking sides about what should and should not happen and yeah le- level 4 is like amazing i even like the name crusade because it yes. it pretty much gives you everything that you would le- you would want to see from let's say um, a nice little movie that you're in right <laughs> absolutely i i i'm with you i love the naming it's so colorful <laughs> and uh, i think it really gets the pulse of you know what's going on so it is a crusade and we have beliefs and causes at this time right oh, yeah. we are trying to convert people over to our side <laughs> so absolutely and i i would say that you know uh i would think that at this point of time maybe the all lines of communications have been burnt as well so yeah i hope not i hope not <laughs> i mean i still want to be like that diplomatic person right who's trying to bring yeah. in some kind of a like a common buy in so i hope the communication lines are still there but it will be difficult to identify those i think so i would imagine that you know uh, maybe over here i would see a bigger role for a navigator or a neutral uh, sort of person mm-hmm. to come in and maybe be the diplomat there is a lot of uh, spatial diplomacy over here so maybe somebody comes in to be the diplomat and sort of bring the groups back together somebody who's uh, i i don't want to say carrying messages but somebody trying to uh, you know bridge uh, some of the gaps that have been formed because yeah. uh, people are now rallying around causes so they're very deeply entrenched 
Uh, so I think breaking that probably needs a little more concerted and focused effort than the other three levels that we spoke about earlier. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Have you heard that like Donald Trump suddenly has become like this? He's very much interested in mediating nowadays. I've heard yes. so many statements from him. Yes, absolutely. So many uh, <laughs> conflicts, right? He was to mediate all conflicts, and but he's a mediator in waiting, I believe, because nobody seems to have taken him up on his offer. And I, I wouldn't want him as a mediator, honestly. I mean, okay, yes. he's he may be good at business, and I'm not in his. I will avoid this conflict, Vinaya. Let's move on. <laughs> oh, I, I think <laughs> yeah, but but you do have level five. Level five is called world war. <laughs> there is no way to solve it right i mean i, I like the the marriage metaphor you said world war is the marriage metaphor will probably be a divorce <laughs> yes and i say that that'll still be a nice thing right i mean it's not bad if if parties separate it as long as you can ensure that they are not hurting each other it still is a good outcome so i wouldn't consider like a separation being a bad thing it still is a good thing as long as it leads to something better afterwards i'm completely with you on that and i think um, you know in a world war level conflict sometimes more than just the involved parties suffer uh, so there's there's an entire large group of people paying the price for the conflict Mm-hmm. and i maybe you know the cost of just fixing it is just too high yeah. um and separating the conflicting parties could create environments where each conflicting party goes and flourishes by themselves right they don't have to do it together they yeah. don't have to be locked into a space where there's no joy uh so i think the larger good sometimes <laughs> we are the yeah. primary concern uh so i'm i'm with you on the metaphor as well separation and divorce sometimes could be the path to happiness and why not right yeah i think a lot of the times when conflicts happen and if people are aware of these uh, levels and modes um any time you start uh, like noticing a conflict to appear you start trying to level it somewhere and you try to like bring in what is the right mode to address it is important to note that not everything is going to be like level 4 and level 5 these are still exceptions i mean yes. okay until level 3 you may still see it every now and then even if it's a high performing team because ultimately we are humans yeah having level 4 level 5 are still like exceptions they wouldn't yeah. be like your day to day thing if it is then it is a very toxic culture and i'm not, i hope that's not the case right yeah, yeah. no i completely agree i think uh, i've seen it very rarely mm. and um, you know it's it's usually again you know it gets built up over time and there mm. are many many other influencing factors that get uh, you know certain conflicts to that stage but mm. i agree that it's 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 cause of rare but the first three you see often uh, if not every day right yeah. i think on some teams you see it every day but again uh, like we said we want healthy conflict we want uh, that is the way to high performance as well i mean i think there's there's no question where uh, we can say that if you have to be a high performing team you have to have conflicts there's no doubt about it absolutely i think we have enough material to uh, to understand what makes a high performance team uh, we we spoke about 
how we define high performance for teams. We did speak about the dysfunctions that teams can have and how uh, these have to be overcome. We also discussed quite in detail about what conflicts is. And I think we have, we are also running out of time. So before we leave, Vinaya, if I have to get your parting thoughts about high-performing teams, what will that be? Um, the conversation, I think it really helped me think of a lot of things and identify some things about myself for, my, for, for me, right? So a little bit of introspection to follow soon for myself. Um, high performance, I would say, is something that can be targeted uh, if we start with some level of alignment um, with a lot of care along the way because it's a long journey. And uh, by continuously retrospecting and improvement, um, so inspect, adapt, all of those things, you know, that's what's really going to get us uh, on that journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, being familiar with the team development models, I think mm-hmm. it gives us a great uh, tool for sense making because it's very complex. The way we right. experience it is very complex. I think the models are simple. They give us some vocabulary to use to have these conversations and they help us with uh, you know, some way of beginning to understand what's going on. So I think they, uh, they are very invaluable from that point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, also being familiar with and expecting certain dysfunctions on our teams uh, can help us go in better prepared for some of the challenges. They can help us preempt some of the challenges um, and really you know, accelerate our journey towards becoming these awesome teams. Um, right. And lastly, conflict, right? Conflict as a means to grow. Uh, to grow the team is awesome. But knowing the nuances can really help us have a better response. So uh, it's a worthy cause, you know, speaking the language of crusades, but it's a worthy <laughs> cause. So uh, we can give it our best and we should also know when to pull back and let things slide a bit. So it's, it's all like this intricate dance that we're playing, but uh, I think knowing all of these things uh, helps us navigate the whole landscape a little bit better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Vinaya, thank you so much for being my guest. It was really, really awesome speaking with you. And hopefully we can collaborate again in the future. I'll, I'll love to have one more. <laughs> I'd love to do that anytime. That was Vinaya Murlidharan sharing the building blocks of high-performance teams. Hope this episode was just as educational for you as it was for me. And we did speak quite a bit about leadership. So in the next episode, I'll be speaking with our agile amigo Shri Harsha about extreme ownership where everyone is a leader. For more of Enterprise Joy, subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube so you don't miss any episode. Patrons on patreon.com slash enterprisejoy get some exclusive benefits, so do check out what we have to offer. The details of our upcoming episodes can be found on our website, enterprisejoy.com, and you can send your feedback and comments to vishal at enterprisejoy.com so our podcast can continuously improve. So until next time, thank you for listening to this podcast. Take care and stay safe.